You're listening to the Corporate Quitter Podcast, where it's all about exploring possibilities for making an honest living outside of the traditional nine to five. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Corporate Quitter. I'm your host, Gabby Ionello, and today's guest I'm so excited about because she is going to teach you how to hack the shit out of your personality, and we all need that. So her name is Erin Bowdy. She's an Enneagram expert, leadership coach, and behaviorist who spent more than 20 years in director positions and in support of leaders who are ready to uplevel their businesses, teams, and ultimately their lives. Erin's mission is to share her perspectives, expertise, and passion for creating a brave, kind, and just world. And I know with what we had talked about in our initial conversation, you are doing just that and then some. So I'm so glad that you can come on the show. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Yeah, yeah. So am I. I think just your background is so interesting and we're in this like hot topic, if you will, or hot area where everyone like wants to like hack their personalities and right become better and do the inner work and all that stuff. So like what better way than to get the Enneagrams kind of involved in this? So, you know, I'm wondering like, what's your full story? How did you actually become an Enneagram person? Because I'm sure that wasn't like, you didn't go for school for that. It was just like kind of fell into place. So what was the unfolding? That's very true. When I look back, you know, 20 plus years ago when I decided what I wanted to be when I grow up, and then I realized in my early 40s, I'm like just now figuring it out. (laughs) Still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. It took a very unpredictable path. I've always worked in behavior change. I'm a behaviorist by trade. It's my graduate degree. And looking at how we use social marketing to influence behavior change, which is motivation and the why and and having this communal impact, right? We want change to actually shift the way we live and move in the world. And so that's always been my truth. And I've spent a vast majority of my career in corporate America honing those skills. You know, you spend 40 hours a week for 15, 17 years, and you sort of are like, okay, I've got this down, right? And then I became a mom. (laughs) Well, I became a mom twice. I have a seven and a five-year-old. But when my daughter, who's seven, turned two, when we gave birth to her brother, we noticed that she struggled. She, She wasn't developing typically. And we found out that she was on the autism spectrum. All the stuff that I knew sort of consciously, right? All this information that I consumed about being in the present moment and resourcing myself all got put to the test when I actually had to embody and integrate it into my life with two little kids who needed a lot for me, a newborn and then a, a, you know, a high needs child. So I really had to integrate everything I learned. And over the last five years, I really recognized that a PhD program or a graduate degree or 17 years in corporate is nothing compared to having to practice getting in my body and regulating my emotions and paying attention to my triggers the same way that kids ask you to do, whether they're little kids or high needs kids. I realized that they were the best teachers I could ever ask. And so I'm super grateful. I sort of say that my professional career led me to where I am today to be able to be parents to my kids in a way that they really deserved. And yet they are helping to elevate my professional career as well. It's so cool how, again, I love how you said in the beginning, I still don't know what I want to do because there's so much immense pressure 
to know what you're going to do for this 100-year life you live, which is very difficult. Like, again, the hard thing is we change constantly, right? When you were 20-something running around the town, like going on dates, like living life, it's very different from when you become a mother. Then even when you become a grandmother, like you're just going to go through all these different changes and even life experiences where like maybe you have another experience that completely changes how you even perceive things. So how could you expect to be doing the same thing? But it's great that, again, even though things are pivoting, you're still finding those dots and connecting them, and it's making sense in one way or another, which is cool. Yeah, I I realized that all of what I've learned is about how to resource myself from the inside out. So much of leadership development or behavior change or habit or transformation work is about accessing what's on the outside, right? Could we get better routines or do I need healthier habits? Or, you know, we sort of look outside of ourselves and I recognize, and this is why I love the Enneagram, is because it gives me language to pull back inwards and touch on the resources that I already have, you know? And that's ultimately the practice of presence, like being in the present moment is realizing that I have everything I need in this moment to make the decisions or move forward right now. We get so caught up in the future or in the past, we lose sight of what we already have. And I think that's a really amazing reminder for all of us. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I literally just two days ago finished a book called The Having and it's all about just like, actually being present and understanding all the things you have, when you actually get to that perspective of seeing it from a microscopic level, you're like, oh my God, not only can I afford this thing, but I have a comfortable bed to sleep in. Like, oh my God, I can do this. I can do that. Like, and when you really think about it in that perspective, as opposed to like, oh, but I don't have, you know, huge house or I don't have the dream relationship. Like you go from it from a perspective of having instead of lack, everything changes completely. And if anything, it like speeds up the most amazing shit to happen even quicker, which is fun as shit because you're like, keep it coming. Like bring the money in. Yeah, or <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah, and so I'm super nerdy. You know, Gabby will just learn this about me as we talk that I might be the nerdiest person you've met. There's so much science around this. There's so much science around an abundance mindset. It's not toxic positivity. We're not not holding on to the hardship of the world or what it means to be in scarcity or trying to survive, right? Like I have a high needs child. Life is hard sometimes. So it is not sugarcoating that or reframing that to the point where I'm not sitting in it. But the gratitude that comes from appreciating what I do have does shift everything. And the way that it opens our brain and what it does to our hormones, I mean, it's just beautiful what we can do to our physiology when we shift our mindsets. Yeah, it really is wild. Like, I notice if I'm like in a really downward spiral, my body will actually physically become inflamed. And when I'm more of in a gratitude, like thankful, happier perspective, I feel like I like five pounds immediately are lost from my face. Like, I don't know what it is. That's just, it's a thing. But the body is such an interesting thing. But I want to reel it back a bit though, because I know we're going in a rabbit hole, which we will continue to do. But how did you embody that whole perspective of like mindset and everything else with the Enneagram, right? How did even Enneagram come to life in your career basically? And you know, what does it even tell us, right? What are the ways in which it can even help us? Well, it's funny because the Enneagram was the one that sort of, windowed me into connecting to my body. The world is such a high consumption intellectual space, right? We sort of consume so much in our head and we overuse the head as a tool or a resource. And so 
about 13 years ago, I was in a corporate training. I was learning tools, right? This is the area that I lived. And so we were, you know, sort of just consuming and learning the best tools to hone our skills. And the Enneagram came across and I got to do a a week-long training on it. I was like, whoa, this is unlike anything I'd ever seen. Myers-Briggs, the DISC assessment, strength finders, all these things just continued to help me consume information about behavior. But the Enneagram asked me to embody it. It asked me to get back into the body. And the body is our container. It's where everything lives. It's where our capacity is. And so I sort of shift in that moment. I was like, okay, all of these other tools I've learned professionally were for me to get better at my job. This one feels like it's for me to get better at me. (laughs) And so I just kind of went head first. I spent about six or seven years studying under a master Enneagram teacher. She's a clinical psychologist. I got certified as a Enneagram teacher, accredited professional through our international body for the sole purpose of just for me. I wanted to get better and I was weaving it into my work. And it wasn't until I had Eleanor that I could see sort of all click together and how it taught me to regulate my body, pay attention to my physical needs, my intuition, right? That's oftentimes what we can think about capacity as, is our intuition. When I need to rest, when I'm tired, you know, those, when I feel unsafe, it also taught me to regulate emotionally. What are my needs? What are my boundaries? And then it taught me how to regulate cognitively. How do I problem solve How do I put all of it together rather? And it was the Enneagram that taught me that. So it's a really, really cool personality framework. It's an archetypal framework, but it's rooted in connecting the whole self. It's rooted in how do each of us as individuals further connect to our mind, body, and heart? And how do we use that for problem solving and to be in a world in a way that feels good to us? And the cool thing is each of us use the model differently. And so we get to know our type, right? That's sort of our archetype of our personality. And then it sort of plops us on a map (laughs) and we can see, oh, this is where I sit on this map and how I'm using this model. Gabby and Aaron are going to look really, really different, but yet we're both going to use the same tools. It's like we both go to the same gym, but we're going to use the equipment differently based on our own needs. And that's ultimately what the Enneagram allows us to do is name it, name what our sort of you know, routine is, and then give us the tools to work out in a way that serves us. That's so cool. I have taken all three of the tests that you have mentioned, the Myers-Briggs, the DISC, and the SCILF, all of them. And like, they're great, but also like, it doesn't tell you, like you had said, how to, on a personal level, actually change your life. It's like, how can we make this person make us more money and make us more productive? You know what I mean? There's a good reason behind that because all of those tests, including online Enneagram tests, are just bucketing behavior. They're just telling you what we do, where underneath all of it is the why we do it. And that's what actually matters to us as humans. If I just bucket what I do, I'm a perfectionist or I'm anxious or I'm bossy, right? Whatever the thing might be, it doesn't tell me anything about why those things help me feel safe in the world. And it's only when I can name the why that I can do something with that information. Yeah. And I like how you said, okay, regardless of your outcome of that, you know, Enneagram test, if you will, there's a way in which it works best for you and again, makes you safe. Whereas I think the other models are like, oh, you're lacking in X area or like, oh, you need to fix this instead of it being like, this is who you are. You're going to embrace it. And these are the things that you're going to use in order to A, change the world or B, create whatever it is or, you know, like all the way down to Z, all these different things. So I'm wondering like what 
can it tell us then, right? Okay, it tells us how to navigate the world, but like, what are the different buckets it kind of falls into? Yeah, so this is where I love sort of playing with it, right? I can take the information that the Enneagram gives, right? You find your personality. I find my personality. Then what? Well, then it adds all this language to my identity, who I am, why I do it, why does that make me feel safe, right? Unlike the DISC assessment that just says I'm a high D, I like to be dominant. It doesn't tell me anything about why dominance makes me feel safe. And so, you know, the Enneagram helps tie to my identity. So that's like the first big bucket that we understand is who I am as a person, what are my subconscious motivations, what are the things that I've developed out of childhood as a way to feel good in the world, feel safe in the world, to feel like I'm seen, known, and loved, all these important things. Then I use that to sort of move into this other bucket, and that's to understand my habits, the behaviors. The what you see of me is the outcome of practiced habits that I've just gotten really, really good at, right? So perfectionism or anxiety or being overly direct or being task-oriented are all learned behaviors that are developed, uh, these huge systems and structure in our life that support that behavior. So I have to get to know what my systems are, the processes in which I function. And I have to know which one of those are tied to stress for me. So this middle bucket is around understanding my processes and how they align to stress and relieving some of that stress so I can change the behavior. And then I can move it into transformation or behavior change. And then I can add new systems and structures into it. So let me give you an example. I'll walk you all the way through it. Somebody decides they want to start working out in the morning, but they're not a morning person. But the rest of the world, right, we look outward and the rest of the world says, well, you should get up in the morning because morning workouts are the best, right? So we sort of put all this pressure on ourselves that I'm going to set my alarm. I'm going to set my alarm at 5 and 5.15 and 5.07. And like we just sort of use sheer force to get out of bed. And the alarm goes off and we don't do it. We shut it off because maybe we're overextending ourselves all day and we have no capacity. We're not taking breaks in the middle of the day. And so this is a huge shift in that outward behavior that I'm not understanding how it's disrupting my stress or what it's tied to in terms of my identity. And so I would actually reverse engineer this with somebody and say, if you're struggling to get out of bed in the morning, I wouldn't add a new morning routine. I would figure out how we build more capacity for you in the middle of the day. How can we take more breaks throughout the day so that you can learn to sort of downregulate your nervous system? And then I would look at what's happening in the evening to figure out how we get you into bed first. And we would do that for weeks until you were getting enough rest during the day before we would add something in the morning. And then you better believe it wouldn't be hopping out of bed and hitting your car to the gym. It would be hopping out of bed and stretching, right? We're just adding capacity in really small ways, but it lasts, it lives. The systems and structures in my nervous system actually hold on to that shifted behavior as a new normal versus this old way of being. And so oftentimes we fail at making these big quote-unquote life changes because we're hitting them too hard at the outcome and not connecting enough to what are the processes that I have in place and how are they tied to who I am in the world. Wow. I really like that how that's framed because 
like me and many other people, right? You set a goal for yourself, a big goal or whatever it is to change a habit. And more often than not, it's really difficult to keep it because it's so different. And usually it's not like, oh, I'm going to wake up like half an hour earlier. No, we're like, oh, we're going to wake up at 4 a.m. We're going to do this. We're going to, it's right. It's always over the top. So the fact that you're able to not only identify, okay, how do we make this a graceful process of getting a new habit, but also like, let's look at the surrounding in this case, time. Let's look at the midday and the evening or like look at a different scenario or a different stressor that might be affecting that. And that's why the habit isn't happening as opposed to the problem of, oh, you need to wake up earlier, which is like what, again, we've been conditioned to think is the actual issue at hand. And it's not. You got it. You got it. You know, you can apply it to anything. And if I know you're Enneagram type, we get even deeper in it, right? I'm a seven, just like you, funny enough. Okay. okay. Yeah. So we're like on the same page. So I was working with a woman who's a type one and she struggles with sort of that perfectionistic tendency. She struggles with making mistakes at work. She'll make a mistake at work. She's really hard on herself. She overworks as a way to prevent mistakes. And so one of her goals with me was to be more gentle on herself, to let things go at work. And just like the morning, you're struggling getting up in the morning, we can't start at work. Because it's not safe. Making mistakes at work feels like her nervous system is the most agitated, right? Like that's the part where I'm going to get criticized the most. You're going to look at me the furthest. And so we went home and we said, how can we start to make some mistakes at home? Well, you better believe she likes a tidy house and she wants all her kids' toys put away. And so I started asking her to let her kids put her dishes away. And they're messy and they're not, they just throw the silverware in the drawer and leave it and practice leaving it. We had a whole strategy for managing her stress response cycle in making mistake at home. And she got to the point where she didn't care or she was okay with letting, you know, her daughters put the dishes away and living like that for a couple of days without, you know, the stress. And what it does is it built more capacity to manage mistake so that she could take that into work and have more room at work to manage mistakes that have higher stakes, right? Wow. That's such a smart strategy. It's very unique. It's very cool. I like it. I like it a lot. That's why I love the Enneagram in relation to behavior change, because it just helps us fast forward things we want to do and hack, right? Like you said, like we get to hack our personalities but feel seen in the process, right? This is actually for me. Yeah, like honoring it as opposed to like belittling it type of thing. You got it, you got it. There's infinite right ways to change our behavior. Then how do we do that, right? How do we go from one behavior to another, right? The long-term game of actually changing not only our behaviors, but like who we are as an individual. Yeah, so we understand that with true behavior change comes identity change, right? So if you think about what's happening in the world, you know, over the last two and a half years, many of us have sort of been woken up to the challenges that we're facing both in America and globally. If you've paid attention to it and you've educated yourself and you've named things for yourself, right? Like you start to change your nervous system where you're maybe not avoiding things you are avoiding and you're able to hold harder things for longer periods of time. You're actually changing the way your body handles the hardships in the world, which then does change your identity. You're somebody who's, I can be the both and, I can hold the joy and the pain in a situation and not have to turn away from it to protect my nervous system. So when we make shifts in our behavior that tie to our identity, we will change our body and we will change our identity, which I think is really, really rad. 
I think the best way I can sort of describe it is thinking about this work, like traversing the Grand Canyon. If we stand on one side of it and look to the other, we think, whoo, that's really hard. And this is where people will say, oh, we don't like change. Humans don't like change. And I call bullshit on that. I think we do really like change, right? I do like my body after a year's worth of working out and training for a triathlon. I do like what it feels like when I've organized all my closets, right? I do like the change. What we don't like is the transition. The transition is the thing that sucks. It's getting from this side of the Grand Canyon to that. And the best way we can do that is hold our long-term goals, but in a small enough strategy that I know what I need to be doing in this present moment. And it's whatever step I have right in front of me. And then do I have the ability to enjoy the process along the way, right? And that's what stress response allows us to do is recover in real time so that I can enjoy it. And so knowing your Enneagram type allows us to create a path forward that serves both your long-term goal, what you want to change, who you are today, and how we help you enjoy the change from here until there. I love that analogy of like the Grand Canyon and the small steps because it's you're right. Once you break it down, nothing is nearly as overwhelming as you think it is. But again, we've just been societally taught that like we need to have it all figured out today. If not today, it needs to be tomorrow. Like anything longer than that is a problem. But I'm wondering how can we pivot in real time? Because what I find is, okay, let's say a couple of days you're going to the gym, you feel good, right? You're creating that habit, you're starting. And then what ends up happening is someone asks you out to drinks or you go out and have food with someone or you miss a day at the gym or whatever, like, right? The old habit comes up. How do we recover from that? And they still continue crafting the new habit and like, you know, pivoting still because it will happen, you know, derailing. It should happen because we're human, right? Not machines. And so I can't remember the book, so I cannot quote it, but it's a book about change and all these factors of change. And I remember the most poignant thing out of the book was he talked about how do you turn a bad day into good data? And I always loved that through the lens of the art of the pivot. You know, my systems and my routines shouldn't be so rigid that I can't fail them or miss them or have life happen, right? So I sort of think about it like an accordion. What's the best case scenario? When I'm, you know, sort of firing on all my cylinders, maybe I'm not on my period, right? Like everything is just going the way that I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to. This is what the systems and structures look like in my life to support the habit. But I'm on my period or my kids are homesick or they're on spring break or, you know, I'm sick. I have to be able to accordion it down to the things that matter the absolute most in order to still support my long-term goal. And so getting really, really clear about what your objectives are, what is it that you want, and what are the things underneath it that matter the most, right? So for example, I am finishing my dissertation, (laughs) which as a type seven is a real rub for my personality because it requires consistency, (laughs) tediousness, and showing up in a really stable way. And my natural energy is a lot less... Um, structured than that. (laughs) It is. I'm all over the place all the time. I am not on a linear path fucking ever. (laughs) Right. So how do I show up for this goal, right? The other side of the Grand Canyon for me, when it is inherently rubbing against the intrinsic parts of my personality. Woo, right? 
So I'm going to get agitated a lot having to pull back in. So the single most important thing I learned to do is pivot to recover. So I learned what helps me show up in that accordion to be my absolute best. Sleep. Number one, sleep. I really need to be well-rested. When I'm well-rested, I can tackle anything. Puking kids, schedules being off, right? Like everything is more possible for me when I'm rested. What's the second thing that's most important to me? Having some alone time or time where I can work that isn't jam-packed with other parts of of my life. And then the other bucket-filling things like working out or my family or food or water, right? The sort of nutrition, but that's emotional nutrition as much as it is, you know, food and fuel nutrition. And so I know what helps me show up to be my best. And so you better believe those are the things I don't negotiate. Those are my non-negotiables. So I have a really strict bedtime routine because if I really care about this end goal, that is the number one thing I don't miss. I also have a pretty strict time boundary around time that's just for me. And then I also have a pretty strict time boundary around, you know, my family, my kids, and taking good care of my health. And then the rest all comes because I have the capacity for the resource. Now I'm sick and I don't feel good. I accordion all the way down to sleep, right? That is the thing that I need in order to get back to that version of myself. And old patterns of me would lay in bed feeling guilty of, oh, I'm not reading this research article or working on this part or doing this thing. And now I know, oh, if I don't sleep, that doesn't happen anyway. (laughs) So I better prioritize this for me. And so That's where I would start with everybody is, what do you value? What is it that you're trying to curate? And how do we understand how your personality is either feeding into that or gets agitated by it? Typically, most of us want things that are sort of different than our inherent personality patterns. And so to get there will inevitably irritate us. Oh, yeah. And like, I am proof of that because this entire year has been one giant agitation of me changing everything. But it's cool, though, because my personality has changed completely. Not everything, but like, it's almost like the agitation was there to get to the next, like uncovering a next piece of the stone, like you know, taking off another layer of the veil. So it's not that my personality has changed. It's just been like heightened. Like I've gotten closer to the source, if you will. Yeah. So I sort of think about that. Like when we start all of this work, we're like deciding we're going to walk a 5k and then we practice and we practice and we practice. And pretty soon we're like ready to run a half marathon. The effort doesn't change. Wait, we still run the same mile. It's the same distance, but you and I, we're stronger. We're more prepared. We have the resources. Our body can recover more quickly. So That's what I think is the cool thing is that we're really primed for this kind of work. We've got this incredible resilience built in us already if we just train, right? (laughs) We just resource it really well. Yeah, that's true, actually. My resiliency for when shit hits the fan is so much higher now. Like, it's almost like a joke. It's like, okay, I'm going to purposely, right, let myself sleep and mull in my sadness and whatever rest as I need to for however long I need to. And then we're going to hop back on the boat and do the shit we need to do because that's what we do. Yes, totally. Exactly. And that's it. That's the quote unquote work, right? That's what we're all after is just more resilience, more strength, more ability to recover in the face of what's thrown at us. 
So how do we use Enneagram and like other tools to basically hack our personality, right? We talked about changing habits and just like, you know, creating these systems and processes, but like, how do we actually hack it, right? How do we get to like the good shit, so to speak? Yeah. So we get really, really clear about who we are and what motivates us, right? And that's what just getting clear on your type does for each of us is create some clarity. Now I will caveat that and say, most online tests do the best that they can, but they're not foolproof. And so I recommend sort of like a full embodied experience with typing, right? Start with some self-discovery and some watching or reading or listening, take a test to fill in some details, but ultimately the information about who we are uh, and how we function has to come from inside us. It's hard to name because we've sort of gone to sleep on it. So I have a free digital typing guide that I can make available to your listeners as a way to start that process of like relearning to trust ourselves. But we've got to get really, really clear on the language. And when we get really clear on the language, we get really clear on the patterns that were created as a way to serve that, right? So you and I both sit at type seven. And if this doesn't speak to you, you know, keep me honest. But for me as a seven I really don't want people to take my freedom away. Oh, hell no. Come on. I'm cor- I'm corporate quitter. I'm all like, fuck the man. This bird needs to be out of her cage or I will die. Like, that's exactly how I feel. Same. I do too. And so anything that feels trapping or suffocating or rigid or holding me back gets my nervous system going, right? I'll break out in hives. I start getting sweaty. You get my fight, flight, or freeze response, mostly my fight response, right? You start to get to see sassy Aaron. (laughs) And so I get to recognize that sometimes limits are okay, right? Some limits are healthy limits. When my husband says to me, I need a break from this, (laughs) that's an okay limit. So the hack that I have to do is recognize what belongs to me and what belongs to him, right? The sort of my garbage, his garbage. And then how do I manage myself to give him the time to be who he is in the world, right? That's my work to do when he's like, hey, I need a minute. We're going too deep down a rabbit hole. You go at 100 miles an hour. I'd like to go at 30 (laughs) because we're just different people. And so my work is to then go... And it's different for each of us, right? I think self-management and self-regulation is like trying on clothes. We have to try on a bunch of things to feel like what fits. At this point in my life, my bare feet on the ground and taking some deep breaths do wonders for me. So I recognize my agitation about him putting a limit up, right? That's my pull on my freedom. (laughs) Oh, that's an old narrative. I am already free. There's nobody telling me what to do. My husband's expressing a need. So I'm going to go over here and I'm going to give myself a little minute to get back into my body. I'll put my feet on the ground. I take a few deep breaths. I usually will like put my hand on my chest and, you know, repeat some sort of like mantra or something to myself to remind me like, you're okay, you've got this, you know, whatever that is for me. And it allows my body to just come back down and not experience that agitation around having what feels like my freedom challenged. So it's that kind of process where I really feel like it's like we're on a hamster wheel and our work is to just find our way all the way back around to center. And we use a lot of tools to do that. And those tools should be unique to the individual. And that's part of the work I love to do is figuring out what those tools could look like for you. Yeah. 
I love how the analogy of the hamster wheel, this is probably the first instance where it's actually positive. It's usually like everyone talks about a hamster wheel of just like going in circles, but this is actually what you said of like going back to center, right? Going back to like the foundational place or like the starting point of beginning something new or whatever it is, which is cool. I like that a lot. But, and also again, like everything they're speaking on, even in your relationship with your husband, it's all about acceptance, right? Acceptance of our personality, acceptance of our experience, acceptance of the other person as opposed to trying to change them. And in doing that, you probably find so much more joy and just pleasure because it's not so, it's not like you're bracing for a fight, right? You're just like, okay, this is how this is and we're going to roll with it. Cool. Yeah. I think that's one of the most powerful tools it has taught me is how to speak to someone's listening, right? If I can put language to the things that are true for me, we can put language to the things that are true for you. And we can do wonders with all of that language, right? And all it does is create immense grace, immense grace. You know, I might be at the grocery store and someone cuts me off and is chewing me out, right? And an old version of me might've been mortified or pissy in the car. Now I can do that same work where I can take some deep breaths and go, wow, what has to be happening in that person's life for them to be having such a hard time? It's a completely different experience for me than even a few years ago. And I will go back to crediting my daughter, Eleanor, because she's the one that was like, hey, you know all this stuff. Let's see if you know how to use it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so cute. I don't have children. I want children one day, but I was a nanny and I also was a teacher. So man, did they teach me a lot. Like, it's funny how that in itself will teach you more than the actual schooling or education you get in a corporate setting because they don't give a fuck. They don't give a fuck and anything goes and they're going to tell you exactly how it is. And it's bold, but it's also nice and appreciated. Yeah. And it's a reminder that we practice everywhere we go. But as adults, we get really good at avoiding, right? We avoid conflict. We avoid hard conversation. The number one thing I hear from professionals is wanting help with having hard conversations or giving feedback or conflict. And it's because we don't practice enough. And the only place we practice this kind of stuff is on each other. Kids, they don't give us a choice. Adults, we can sort of be like, oh, well, I'll just be passive aggressive or I'll put this in an email or those kinds of things. But we sort of realize, well, there's an opportunity for me to do this at the grocery store or Target or the gym or in the boardroom. Yeah. And like you had said, once you can solidify the language, then you've found the key. That's the hardest part is actually finding the words to communicate the problem or something that's happening. And because we don't communicate, none of us actually understand what language works for us. Or in this case, taking an Enneagram or or doing any sort of self-work. You got it. And we're back to the Grand Canyon, right? Conflict resolution is the other side of the Grand Canyon. The language saying my needs, hey, I need a minute is that first step. It's right here. So it's not change that we don't like. We all would rather have more harmonious relationships. It's just, I don't know how to get from here to there. And language often can be a great tool. Yeah. What I'm finding more as I go through life, and I'm only 28, is that things are really fucking simple. Like if you think about it, like, okay, yes, we're talking about a complex subject, but like at the same time, it comes down to very basic shit, like language, communication, like not being in your head. Like it's very simple. Yep. And we often have the tools that we need. We often have the tools that we need, which is why I love my work so much. I love watching people transform and they're doing the work. They'll tell me, they'll say, Erin, I couldn't do this without you or you're so amazing. And I'll take it, right? Because I'm a seven and that feels great. 
And I'm like, I didn't do anything but help point to some language that was true to you. You've done the rest of it. Yeah. It's such a rewarding feeling, but I know what you mean. It's interesting though, because a lot of times we just need someone who's in support of us to just be there. That's literally all we need. Yeah. I love it. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Damn. I got to Now I'm thinking I got to redo my Enneagram again. Just to ch- Has it yours changed by chance actually at all or no? So here's the cool thing. Our Enneagram type, our core personality won't ever change, but we resource, right? So if we think about where we sit on the map, we sort of sit in a bucket and then we start realizing that we're tethered to all of these other different types, these other behaviors, these other tools. And as we grow and evolve, we get really good at using these other tools alongside sort of our core pattern. When it's all said and done, the hope is that we don't look like any type at all. We look like a lot of all of them. Okay, got it. Yeah, I just wasn't sure because I know like the love languages test, I've done it probably about five or six times over the past few years and it changes every year. So I'm like, I guess we'll do Enneagram again. But if you're saying it's the core, it's going to stay the same, then save myself the time and not do it. But yeah, and you might test again and test something different. And that's probably just going to show what's true for you in this part of your life, right? What tools or resources have you built? How are you getting better or more resilient rather? And it'll just maybe showcase the muscles you're building. Pretty cool. I love this shit. This is seven all the way. I'm like, eat it up. But this has been really fun. I think for a lot of people who have been craving, again, that personality hack or just understanding who they are, especially for my corporate quitters who feel lost, right? They've quit and they're like, I have no idea who I am. Like, this is a great starting point of like rediscovering that. What I like to do with every single guest is just ask one final question to like wrap it up. And it's, if you could give advice to your younger self, right, young Erin, what would that be? Well, I think it'd be like a 1A and a 1B. One, the one thing I would tell her is to slow the fuck down. (laughs) You don't have to have it all and you don't have to have it all right away. I was traveling 200 days a year. I was, you know, doing all of these big things. I had a really fast life. In all of that, I lost the sense of myself, right? So then the 1B would be to trust myself, that I already knew it, I already had it, it was already with me. But when you're in such a hustle grind culture, you sort of lose your capacity, right? We lose our body, we lose that connection. And that's where my instinct was, that, that's where my inner authority was. And so it's taken a long time for me to get her back. And so I would love to go back to 26-year-old version of me and tell her to chill out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? It's just, we have so much zest for life in your 20s that you're just like, of course you're going to go, go, go. And then when you get older, you're like, eh, like, okay, let's chill. This has been really, really awesome. I think people are going to find immense value in this. Um, If anyone wants to get in contact with you, use your services or just reach out and say, hey, you're the shit, where can they find you? They can reach out to me at livingtheenneagram.com. That's my website. You can check out my one-on-one coaching, I have group coaching, I do typing interviews, all that wonderful stuff. Or you can peek at uh, Living the Enneagram on Instagram where I load up tons and tons of resources. I think about my Instagram space like the gym. I'm gonna give you tons of things to practice and try so that you can get a sense for what it's like for you know working with me. But if that's not something you can afford or you're interested in, the work doesn't have to stop just because of accessibility. So I want to make sure the information is accessible for folks who are ready to put in the time. I love that. I love that. You drink so much. 
It's great. <laughs> well, I am a seven. Yeah, fair, fair. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Again, like I said, I think people are going to find events value in it. And yeah, I hope they utilize you because it's probably, it's necessary. People need to know more about who they are. Thank you, Gabby. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Corporate Quitter Podcast. Visit corporatequitter.com for resources, extended content, and additional information about our guests. To connect with us, stay up to date on all things Corporate Quitter, and to learn more about how you can leave the nine to five, follow us on Instagram and TikTok. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, guys.